0: Raoui Haj was born in Beirut, Lebanon, and lived through nine years of the Lebanese Civil War. He immigrated to Canada in 1992, he's an award-winning writer, visual artist, curator, and political commentator. Welcome to The Bibliophile.
1: Thank you, Nigel. Good to
0: be here. I wonder if we could start off with your life story.
1: I grew up in uh, East Beirut. Fluctuated between lower middle class to upper middle class, depending on circumstances. Went to um, Catholic school, actually, Maronite school, where we were taught Arabic as a language, grammar, poetry. The rest of the materials were taught in French and French books, I guess. Some of the books were imported from France, so since childhood I was exposed to that culture, French culture. My last chapter, I dealt with that somehow. At the age of nine, the war started. The war broke up. Like he's 75, I think. Lived through that, through many um, incidents, uh, from school interruption to bomb falling to losing members of family. To so it was uh, all of a sudden. It was, it was this break between living in middle class, quiet, very prosperous. Prosperous country at the time, Lebanon was very prosperous, to a sudden change of, of war. Mm-hmm. But still, in spite of the war, we still had a good family life, uh, the, the occasional dysfunctionalities and trouble, like old families, I guess. Um, but I was surrounded with extended family, so grew up in the same neighborhood. Lovely kind of village atmosphere? Almost, in a, in a mixture of very urban living, but at the same time very village-like. And I guess my parents were at that transition from... A village life to newcomer to the city, immigrants to the city. My mother, immigrant to the city. My father's father was an immigrant to the city. At the age of eighteen, I uh, I left and uh, went to New York, where I worked. Basically, worked worked a lot, many different jobs.
0: That takes courage
1: courage and desperation you know I had to leave I wanted to leave like so many people at that age that they wanted to leave many of my classmates now are dispersed all over Europe States Canada just uh, I guess I was one of that generation where people wanted to leave well you wanted to
0: leave, leave the war behind leave them.
1: the war yeah and, and uh, it also kind of seems helpless in terms of jobs, and yeah. So it's a mixture of economics and and refuge, and mm-hmm. getting away from the war. Mm-hmm. Finally, in New York, I uh, things were getting a little bit complicated in terms of staying. So I I had to, you know, find a find a place where get accepted as, a, as legally as an immigrant and I applied to Canada and uh, was uh, accepted and I came and I've been living here since 1991 or 1992, I can't remember.
0: Coming from uh, from peace to war to peace again here, you've got a culture shock but you've also got this trans transition from desperate, <laughs> warlike conditions to...
1: Well, I, I end up in New York, which is uh, an intense city in itself. And it was, at the time, in the 80s, it was even more intense than now. Mm. Now I go, it's much more gentrified and much more looks like a very corporate city.
0: Yeah, they clean the streets up. They,
1: they? clean, quote-unquote. I mean, you never know where all these people went, really. But New York at the time mm, was... Uh, in a way, similar to, Be- to Beirut, in a way. In, what, of, in what sense? In, in, that, in that intensity, in that same intensity, the crowd and... and, and Noise. ever, Yeah. But it was, it was hard in itself. It was, like you said, culture shock. Uh, when I arrived, my English was very limited. In a way it was harder than Beirut, in, in, in more an emotional way it was harder. You know, I have to support a larger family, you're cut off from your community, uh, you're trying to learn the language, struggle, I mean typical newcomer story. And I think what, what really was the hardest is that I was cut off from my family and at the time it was hard to call back home you had to dial and redial, the technology was not there.
0: And it was way more
1: expensive. Much right? more and more expensive, and, and Lebanon was constantly on the news, so every time you hear a bomb went off in a certain area, you get worried. With a mixture of guilt that you escaped, you're away, and they're still there, so feeling a little bit more privileged, though in a sense you're not but you're struggling, it's a different type of existence. I worked in stores, I worked in a shoe salesman, I worked in a warehouses, uh, restaurants, uh, all kind of... Uh, just to survive? Of, just to survive, yeah.
0: Were you able to write? Uh,
1: no, no, no. At the time, I wasn't even thinking of writing. It was a mode of survival and I, frankly, I'm not one of those people who always wanted to be a writer. I never had that romantic notion of what's living like a writer. I, was, I think I was for the most part aimless, you know, the, the mixture of survival and feeling like, I guess like every newcomer, there's this period of you feeling you're here temporary and you're going to come back or there's the option gonna come back. It takes a while for you to realize that this is a new home, mm-hmm. or at least that was my case.
0: I like guess you, did you ever feel at home in New York? Or no, I never, huh? New York. I, not, I
1: never felt at home in New York. I was—I never felt at home in New York. I was always—I that's that's mainly why I think it was so hard psychologically because there's just always this temporality. That's
0: so you you moved to Canada and do you feel any kind of solid yes, space is, here?
1: this is this is home now. Okay. This right? is much home.
0: As a writer, even though that wasn't your ambition, the country certainly has embraced you as a writer.
1: Yes, very much uh, so. To
0: a surprising degree, because often often the Canadian writers have to get appreciated uh, beyond its own chores before Canada will take them seriously. Well, I
1: think that's changing. I'm writing this way, where it's, I think this country is much more comfortable, confident about their own culture and about their own writing. And I think the political situation in maybe in the state, is, is making us more conscious of, of who we are and more assertive of our own identity.
0: The novel uh, uh, De Niro's Game, which you uh, which wrote a couple of years ago, is more about your war, wartime experience than anything else, right?
1: Yes. It's about elsewhere, it's not about Canada. There's a yeah. small reference to Canada. But it also, it's, uh, it gives a very close look at uh, places of conflict, and a person who came from that place. And I think there's this tremendous curiosity to know from the inside, a very close, intimate, and uncompromising look, without the exotism, without the, the usual expected media report, right? Which is, uh, sometimes it's much more general, or some, somebody else who goes and report and, this is, this comes from from the inside. I think if you know, I can say it's it's also presented in, in a literary way. Mm-hmm. There's 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 artistic merit. I don't think the story of suffering uh, would have been so much well received if, if if the writing was not there. I I say this for humility and hope I'm not boasting too much. Uh,
0: there's a description on the back cover that I think is is accurate. It may not even be on the back cover, but it, it talks about the poetry that's in the work. Yes. The fact that it's, it fuses vivid uh, cinematic imagery with the measured strength and beauty of Arabic poetry, I think that, that's a beautiful
1: yes, synopsis yeah. or capture. It's a, it's a good fusion. Yeah,
0: if we get into the book, you frequently cite 10,000. Yeah. Perhaps you could explain that reference.
1: Well, if you want to talk about Arabic poetry, or I mean, a lot of Eastern music or dancing, there's there's, there's always a repetition, and with a slight variation, it go, almost goes deeper. Eastern religion, and brainwashing, and be, <laughs> use that. I I'm be surprised, but yeah, there is that incantations. I, I use that, but also uh, um, every time I start a new paragraph, and new chapters, I I use that as as the word in French and long, small, you know, kind of like uh, something to Push me into, into it, me into it, and it worked very well for me at the time writing it. If anything, I I, I could say in the writing it goes back and forth. Where uh, in, in certain paragraphs I start with something and I end it with a reference to that thing. Mm-hmm. The the writing is very circular, I find, or I don't know where that come from. It was never intentional, mm-hmm. but when I reread a few passages, I know. That it's very circular. It's not a linear, it's not straight line. And it starts with Roma and ends with Roma. So it's always disclosure, right? brings you back to the beginning.
0: Yeats the f- cyclical view of uh, history. Right. I don't know if that's uh, how you see history, but
1: uh, it repeats themselves. Yeah.
0: You also uh, capitalize the first line of every. Uh, is that just a typographical thing, but or intentional? But every every first line of every chapter is capitalized.
1: It's it's an aesthetic. It was proposed to me by the publisher and and uh, the graphic designer, and I thought it's, it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. it works. if You're starting with a shout.
0: <laughs> yes, 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 like shouting when you send an email,
1: right? Right. Yeah. Interesting the movement
0: that is witnessed in the book, the fast-paced, frenzied, wartime feel.
1: Yes. Uh, I think there's this duality in the book. There are passages of uh, reflection, contemplation, quietness, and that's where the poetry Mm -hmm. kind of surface. Then there's this sudden break when things become a little more faster or violent. In a way, that's how war is. Uh, War, people don't realize, there's a lot of nothingness, of silence, Mm. of waiting, calm. Well, the cliché is before the storm. And this is how it is. I remember growing in the war, there was a lot of boredom too. You're just waiting for something to happen. You can't go out because you don't know when the bomb is going to fall. And when bombs start falling, Mm. there's a madness to it. There's this rush. Things happen very quickly. Death comes very quickly rushing comes very quickly it's uh, and you feel experience it as a kid you feel in a, I won't say a movie but in a, in a in a distance from yourself you're not conscious why you're doing this a mixture between an observer of something and and not being conscious what's taking place it's almost madness. There is that. There is that haziness. It's a mixture of fear and adrenaline or it's probably chemical reaction to it. I don't know. You've
0: mentioned, in fact, that you always write in the first person because you want to observe and capture, just like a photographer would. Yes. Yeah. I imagine that could change, though, in future.
1: Could. It could. It didn't in the second book, still so first person. You know, the, many uh, writers, they situate themselves in a place before they start writing, and I say, I think, I think, I start from space, in a way. Much like a photographer, you have to be there to take the photographs. You have to, to exist You'd be at certain proximity, so when I start writing, I imagine myself present. That's why I write in first person, very present to the scene.
0: To do the research, you actually in your next novel is it s- situated in Beirut or not?
1: No, it's here, in Montreal. It's in Montreal. So I don't do research. I live. I read. I experience things, and I write. I don't. I'm not methodic about my writing. I let things come through, and I later on, when I'm writing, things will filter through. I, I'm not one of those writers who sit methodically and do research. You know, it's 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 a choice, of course, but I, I don't see the point where you know you.
0: Did you say it's more like a, a, a photographer going on the scene and taking snapshots and then pulling those together?
1: To a certain extent, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Because photography, is a little, lo- uh, it's a lot about also taking. Photographs randomly, and then there's the editing process. And with this new technology, one of the complaints about this new technology is that people tend to delete their photographs. So in a sense, you're mo- you're losing a lot of archival photographs. Mm. What's considered a reject now could well be something very meaningful later. While when people used to shoot film they would keep their phone so the archival process is richer with with the negative with this new process might be losing a lot of uh, records Record. yes records yeah. historical records right documentation
0: yeah. sure i heard in a in another interview that you gave somewhere that you were more urban you like urban living more so than living in a forest
1: yes very much so
0: you don't like the mosquitoes or the
1: I'm not familiar with it. I lived in concrete all my life and when I go to nature I don't know how to deal with it. It's very foreign place to me. I feel very displaced. It's a it's a big part of Canada though. It is, but it's not everything. But I think I think yeah, we tend to emphasize more the, ur- uh, the nature it's side of Canada. Yeah. I think the urban Canada has a lot to offer and, you know, yeah. culture to and it's it's growing. It's it's dynamic. It's it's multicultural. And uh, it's, I personally find it much more interesting.
0: Than canoeing out with the moose.
1: Well, if I knew how to canoe, maybe I would. Try to, you know, maybe I would. I would find it. I would find it very interesting. I don't. I don't condemn it. I see the beauty of it. But I am so unskilled with, with nature that I tend to fear it like anything that you ignore.
0: So you're not going to be raiding the great outdoor Canadian... No, oh,
1: I might. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Russian roulette. Russian roulette and deer hunter. That had an impact on not just you, but I assume your friends.
1: Beirut was a very cosmopolitan city, and still to a certain extent, in spite of the economic situation and its repeated attack and wars, there's still, I think, the mo- one most interesting art Still coming out of that place. The proportion of women who are producing art in, in that city is uh, staggering. It's, it's an interesting place. Uh, Lebanese art became so hot in Europe. You have a group of Lebanese artists. You know, when was you know? it? Recently. They're yeah. still doing, you know. Anyway, the, all that to say that. So Western film were not foreign to that city. And in the 1980s, I think, or 75, 79 or 80s, when the Deer Hunter played, played at the same time in Beirut. And it was in the midst of the war. I guess many of the young men who just joined militias, they had access to gun and they watched the movie and were impressed by that particular scene where Robert De Niro plays against uh, Christopher Walker. They were forced to, to play Russian roulette. The Vietnamese, the Viet Cong, were betting on them. Right. And then they escaped, they managed to kill the two. So I guess made an impression and uh, some of these militia men in Beirut started playing and it became some kind of underground thing to do.
0: Kind of a macho...
1: Macho mixed mixed with drugs, I, guess, I think. Just drugs were available, like anywhere else in the world.
0: What, I wonder what, what would, would have motivated that, just the sort of this weird thrill-seeking?
1: an extension of a life of violence, because violence, I guess, it gets internalized at the end. Violence starts on the other, but at the end, it gets internalized and
0: self-loathing. And yes, yeah. the Lebanese culture of storytelling. This, is, you think, this is part of why you've written the story of the war and one that maybe the politicians have haven't taken close enough look at. Uh, they arrived at some sort of an agreement, but they never really solved anything.
1: In terms of the memory of, of the war? In, or? Terms
0: of, yeah, in terms of just de- dealing with the memory of the war and, and the fact that you think you mentioned somewhere that uh, that's not even taught at
1: school. Yes, yeah, well there is that, because after the war, there was a big project for rebuilding Beirut. Beirut was being rebuilt. Uh, no monument were left to remind people of the war and it was not integrated in the curriculum and why is that? I guess partly the government, uh, they just, uh, it's, it's, too, it's too contested as a, as a history, whose history would you write, the Christians uh, point of view, or the Muslim point of view, and there should be some kind of consensus for a project like this to take place like I would say in South Africa where you had the Truth the Commission the mm-hmm. Truth Commission and everyone agreed to come and speak Mm. That did not, never happen in Lebanon. So in, that, in the process, nobody was talking about the war.
0: Fearful, perhaps, stirring up old animosity or...?
1: Yes, that's that probably uh, part of it. Oh. Also, because people wanted to forget, it was, the country was not ready yet. The only people who talked about the war and, and, and evoked it all the time are artists, writers. And, and I think that's behind that artistic movement that I was talking about.
0: What is it they want to talk about? I mean, they don't want to prove one position was right over over the other. What? what is I,
1: I think I think it touches a lot on the absurdity of the war. There's a lot of self-mockery. I mean, because at the end of the Lebanese war, I think people felt used by the corruption, the internal corruption, by uh, the international community, by the geopolitical. I mean, because way, anyway, Lebanon was a victim too. Whoever had. To do a war was conducted in that land. If Israel wanted to fight the Syrians, they would meet in Lebanon, right? It mean, would be the
0: fighting ground.
1: The fighting ground for awful, you know, in sounds, a way.
0: Sounds a bit like Poland.
1: Yes, pretty much. Lebanon is a small country between two uh, strong military, Israel and Syria. And each of these countries has some kind of interest in controlling the place. Would
0: you classify the writing of your novel? with what this artistic community is doing yes. Right now? Yes, yeah, that's
1: yes. What I didn't cover war. the whole war. I covered this small segment of the war, mm. at least the beginning of it. The human
0: uh, aspect, obviously.
1: Yes. Uh, it's not a historical novel, and it's not, a, it's not a documentation. It's still a work of literature, but it's mm-hmm. still, by covering that particular subject, you're contributing to that history and that memory. Would you
0: suggest, then, that your message again is it the absurdity of war
1: i tend not to commit to one message really there are many messages in the book i stayed away from too much preaching and morality in that book and and conclusions a lot of people ask me what happened to bassam it was never my objective to give this grand ending where you put your own moral conclusion i tend not to write this way. I tend to...
0: Stimulate thought, perhaps?
1: Uh, present characters uh, in a way uh, ambiguous but interesting and, and through this ambiguity, uh, try to show a dark side of humanity that I think we should all somehow face and, and, and talk about. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, in order to uh, avoid re- repeating?
1: For all the good reasons, believe it or not.
0: The other thing, too, is the atheistic, secular view of the world uh, and the damage that...
1: uh, Yeah, so I think at the end, if anything, champions uh, this book, Secularism. It's my own reaction to the secular. I mean, it's all my own reaction to having lived through fragmented country and society and seeing the evil that religion is capable of, Mm -hmm. organized religion is capable of. That's why I chose maybe France at the end, that's why I chose existentialism and, and particularly the French segment of existen- the existentialist philosophy and that's why I refer to Camus in this book. Um, there's a reference you know, in the book where it says God is dead. I, I think I think, you know, writing as in somebody who comes from that region and attacking God so bluntly and it's it's a contribution, it's a form of resistance
0: to the power of organized religion
1: in that country? Yeah, regardless of which religion, yeah. not just that country. I mean, if you look at the Canada now, we can't deny that this government is somehow, somewhere driven also by by a religious Fundamental fundamentalism, Christian. Christian yes. yes. I mean, if you look at the B, the Bill C-10 at the end, I think what's, what's really behind it is is, is an organized religion who is trying to impose their own morality on, on a secular society. It's really dangerous. And the fight, the fight, is not limited to the Middle East. It's spreading. It's everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. The ugliness is. It's getting tied up to very savage type of capitalism. There's, uh, that's, that's everywhere. Uh, I don't know who's using who. Sometimes. You
0: know? uh, could
1: you explain that? Well, I'm referring to you know, abortion, for instance, became tied up to conservative politics that is tied up to privatization and, and large corporate ideologies, if not in, in hegemony, I would say.
0: Profit motive.
1: The profit motive is backed up in, especially in democracy by, by religious convictions.
0: But the religion uh, the fundamental Christians would yes. are against abortion and abortion is a way of clinics, is a way of generating profit for No,
1: No, it's through the vote that's happening through the vote. fundamental Christians, they vote for for, uh, Bush or Mm -hmm. conservatives, and the conservatives are furthering very corporate economics.
0: Well, the infiltration of...
1: uh, Christian fundamentalism into politics. There's no separation with the church and and and
0: government. An interesting concern that you may wish to comment on is is the rise of Islamism and the fear that that just by their sheer numbers they would be able to sort of win a, a quiet victory by voting for their candidates that's what Mark Stain and Martin Amis and others have, have suggested Do you. Have any concerns or fears about uh, Islam sort of taking over uh, democratically?
1: Uh, yeah, well there's a hypocrisy from the West when they, they, they raised the the emblem of democracy, they are conducting all these wars in the name of democracy, but then democracy looked them in the face and they ignored it or condemn it or fight it. It's a dangerous game, it's a dangerous game trying to impose democracy and extracting the wealth of other nations based on democracy, but then when the other nations took them on their bluff, they, they backed off. We were talking
0: earlier about your father, his being uh, perhaps a bit more of an artist and being surrounded by books, but perhaps not being the best businessman. Right. I wonder, in closing, if you could uh, share some thoughts about your father and how he may have an impact on your life and your choices. And also, I wouldn't mind hearing a little bit about your next book, if you're willing to share.
1: Yeah. Y- you know, sometimes your parents give you something that you, you, don't, you don't realize till later on in life or till something happens and then you look at the genesis of it, and you take it, trace it back to the family. And I'm realizing that now everything, family cannot be uh, so dysfunctional, so there's some benefit to it. <laughs> and I guess that comes with age, right? You pass that rebellious stage, and...
0: Yeah, the rebellious stage often lasts until you're 40. Yes, yeah. yes. Or and until there's some change in the relationship with the parent.
1: Yes. Yeah. Or until you have kids, maybe. Yeah. That's not my case, but I imagine.
0: Doesn't sound
1: like you want to have kids. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> That's too private.
0: Uh, but your father?
1: Yeah, my father. My father um, well, always read. Yeah, he was he was a reader, and uh, I think he was forced to. Well, for many reasons, he had four kids, and he has to support them, so he embarked on the business side of it. He studied. I think he studied uh, to be an accountant, but uh, like me, he couldn't deal with working within an institution. I never had a job working in a company. Solitary uh, layaway. and he opened a store. He opened a business, but uh, in his store, he always had he gathered intellectuals. So the intellectuals, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> people like
0: to talk about. People ideas. like to
1: talk about ideas yeah. and smoke and and drink coffee and talk. Politics and literature, uh, you know, and it became store became some kind of uh, like like a salon. A, exactly, yeah. it's a salon, and ironically, it was it was a women' clothes store, so you had all these guys sitting there. Buffing cigar and talking and no woman would come in so that, that was a big conflict between my mother and father because she would chase them out and <laughs> you know, it's business after all right. so <laughs> yes uh, how, how could a woman come in and order a bra in the presence of five men what
0: an odd choice though why would you set up a woman's store
1: clothing store you're in a neighborhood if there are many men's store you're not gonna open men's store right mm. you, you kind of minimize the competition yeah. And depends on the circumstances, what it is you just saw
0: an opportunity,
1: I suppose, I guess I guess it changed. it was a men's store, then a woman's store, then a baby store uh, you know you diversify in your own way, or you get a good deal of shipment from something you know it's the strategies you go with it, yeah. go with it. i like I like to listen to those guys i cool. yeah, maybe I like the smell of cigars too. I don't know, or maybe like
0: ladies' dresses.
1: <laughs> that too i I listened but it, but but it wasn 't purely intellectual conversation, a lot of storytelling's there too, and a lot of the points are made by telling stories, so I, I listened
0: so although you had no real sort of overt uh, intention to become a writer, a lot of the foundation may have been set in uh, inhaling the that kind of talk and
1: uh, talk, thinking yes, and uh, thinking and and seeing the uh, yeah. seeing the benefit of reading, for instance, or talking about certain issues. Mm-hmm. Um, my father knew geography very well, right? And I think that what made me want to leave too. <laughs> he traveled in his youth. To he
0: he took like a car.
1: They took a car in the 1950s, I would say. They were young, five, four of his friends, and they went through Syria, Turkey, they did the Balkans, and they ended up in Holland. So he always talked about that travel, and I think it, it changed him in a way, too. Um, I think what it did, it reconciled whatever he read with, because he read a lot of French literature, so, you know, and reconciled whatever he read all that imaginary world with something more concrete. So Ita has a lot of story about, about the Balkans and, you know. So, you know, it's just, um, there is that wonder world in that story, that's for sure. There was that wonder, place of wonder where,
0: Listening to these stories, you were uh, inspired.
1: Yes, there there were were a few characters, there were actually a poet there, who, yeah, he. I mean his claim to fame is that he uh, wrote a a, a song to Um Imqalsoom, I don't know if you know who Um Imqalsoom is, she's like the diva of the Arab world, Mm -hmm. Uh, the singer. She's the most famous singer in the Arab world and this guy actually, she sang one of his poems.
0: Wow, what a thrill for him.
1: Yes, for everybody actually and there was also... uh, uh, this guy who was actually uh, he collected books he collected religious books he would come and show us Qurans and and old bibles and you know it was a mixture of business and fascinating fascination for him. they knew the Arabic language very well they knew the Arabic history very well while always also kind of fantasizing about the West. there was that mixture right there they all they all knew. Arabic poetry, and they mastered the language very well.
0: Your next book, then, if you could uh, talk just briefly about it, as we that's my out. problem.
1: With my next book, I can talk briefly about it. It's much more intricate. I'm, I won't say much more, but it's, it's it it covers a couple of subjects. It takes place in Montreal. It's a little bit touches on mental illness. A few couple of the protagonists exiled Iranian from the Iranian revolution who happened to end up here in in Montreal a little bit also in a nutshell an immigrant story but satirical it's political it's critical of of many things, including some of the Canadian politics, coming to this country, and part of being integrating, fully integrating mm-hmm. society is also having your your thought about things and being critical of certain things. And
0: participating. It's a
1: parti- it's way of participating, mm-hmm. being critical. So um,
0: taking advantage of an audience that you've developed so you can
1: yes, say your, things to them. put your two cents in there, sure. interesting.
0: What's the title of it, is
1: there? A cockroach. Cockroach. Like the insect, cockroach. Yes. And there's no reference to Kafka in no, there. No, I was
0: going
1: to say. So my my publisher is pretty happy with it. They're very, very excited.
0: Is it the same publisher, Anansi? Yes, Anansi, yeah. yeah. quality uh, publisher.
1: It's coming out in August. Right. Just like De Niro's game, it's uncompromising. Very
0: good.
1: Yeah poetic, uncompromising.
0: Speaking of Nancy, are are you uh, and the Griffin Prize? just wonder if you're going to go in that direction.
1: Poetry, no. I I think there's a lot of poetry in my writing. I don't need to cut it off and and put it on the stool. It's integrated, and I think I, I somehow managed to combine the both.
0: Yeah, very much
1: so. Overtly, I'm not afraid to be poetic. I'm not a minimalist writing. I come from a culture where poetry is The highest art in the Arabic culture. Poets are like gods, actually, because many of the poets also they assume God's name, like Adonis. Mm -hmm. It's
0: wonderful though. I mean, is that still the case?
1: It's still the case. And poetry is.
0: Are they as popular as rock stars, or or not?
1: Well, there's no rock stars, but yeah, they, they have much more esteem than a rock star. Yes, and I know the Palestinian poet Mahmoud Darwish when he as a recital they do it in a football field
0: <laughs>
1: that many people but it's also tied to struggle poetry is not it's a voice
0: for freedom of thought. yes
1: like most I think most of third world literature you can't have that luxury of writing a book unfortunately it's because my voice is being heard and yes exactly I yeah. think we all struggle to have our own voice being heard unfortunate at the end that's what it is well, congratulations on thank you very getting, much. Your, getting your voice heard, and uh, best of luck in the future. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much.